From the CSB studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, on the MTR Radio Network, this is the Passball Show, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. A lot of exciting things going on. I'm ready, fired up, ready to get this show going. For the first time in the history of the Passball Show, we're going to do two hours today, and I'm joined in studio by my buddy Christian Colabelli. What's up, everyone? Good He's to be here. He's the lead guitarist from Boy Meets Machine, a big, big-time baseball fan. He's going to give me some perspective on the Yankees. Um, a little later today, I got his father calling in. He's you know an avid Yankee fan. We're going to get his opinion here or there. We're going to see what's going on with that. Uh, 525, I got John D'Aquisto, uh, former Major League pitcher in the 1970s, calling in. We're going to knock out some good stuff about that. Um, later on, I'll have Steve Springer, former uh, Major League infielder in the early 90s. He's going to call in towards the bottom part of this hour. We'll take a break. We'll knock over some stuff in the second hour. But, listen, I'm pretty fired up. I'm, I'm excited. I honestly can't get over how fired up I am about knocking this show out today. I mean, this is the first time I'm going to be doing two hours. Um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to lose my gusto, lose my fervor, you know, everything I got that I put into this, you know, by the end of the show. But I am um, guaranteed to have you entertained. But uh, we'll start out by talking a little bit about the New York Yankees. Um, last night. The uh, you know the Yankees, of course, trying to get through the post Mariano Rivera era, which let's be honest, you know it's gonna be impossible to replace the guy. But uh, how hard do you think fans and the media are being on David Robertson? You know, first blown save in a post at Mariano Rivera. Uh, it looks like maybe things got to him a little bit last night. What do you think about that, Chris? Definitely too hard on the guy. The guy's a stud. I mean, look, it's not gonna happen overnight. We all know Mariano didn't come in and. Uh, just turn into a legend overnight the guy's really good and it's gonna take him a little bit to get comfortable in that role you know what i mean what no, do you abs- think? no absolutely man and i mean listen mariano was not the greatest when he first came out and you know the greatness of mariano rivera has happened over the last 15 years you know it took some time to get there you know he was the setup man in 1996 you know great setup man for john wetland when the yankees won their first you know of the four World Series, five World Series, now that they've won with Mariano and Jeter. And listen, I mean, even 1997, he was mortal. I mean, people seem to easily forget about Sandy Alomar, you know, hitting a home run off of him for the Indians, which ended up propelling Cleveland to the World Series when the Yankees weren't able to get there. So, you know, I think that's pretty interesting. I think, you know, you're going to have to give the guy a little bit of time, you know, some margin for error, a chance to, you know, screw up a little bit. I know he's a little shaky in that first save. He comes through, and a raise got to him for a run, and then, of course, the, the big three-run homer ended up beating him. But listen, that's going to happen. I mean, you can't say the guy sucks because he blows a save because Mariano Rivera blew saves. Every other closer that has pitched the ninth inning for an extended period of time blows saves. Absolutely right. Nah, yeah. and there's no reason for, you know, for anybody to get down on him. Listen, the guy's going to be the closer. There's nobody else that's coming in. Mariano's not you know, all of a sudden going to physically heal himself with his knee. And come right back in. I mean, this is something that's going to have to, you know, they're going to have to give it time. Absolutely. And that's tough for for me as a Yankee fan to say because, uh, you know, we expect results very quickly. And if if they're not delivered, people freak out. And you just, I'm not going to do that with this guy. I've done it in the past and I'm not going to do it. Well, listen, let's break down David Robertson a little bit because, you know, here's a guy, you know, has a high 90s fastball. His issue really is his command. He doesn't have the same command that Mariano Rivera has. But who does? Now looking at it, looking at him from you know perspective, he throws the ball hard. Listen, he misses a ton of bats. He gets a ton of strikeouts, but he's gonna be you know he's gonna miss a little bit. He's walk. He walks the leadoff hitter. Listen, any closer that walks the leadoff hitter, 
is a you know a ticket for failure that happens. Right. You know, you saw Jonathan Papelbon do that the other day. You know, for the Phillies against <laughs> the Mets, it happens. You know, you walk the leadoff batter. You know, you got, I've watched. You know, as a Met fan, I've watched Frank Francisco do the same thing. You know, before that, it was Francisco Rodriguez. Before that, it was Billy Wagner. Before that, it was Braden Looper. Before that, it was John. You know, John Franco, Armando Benitez, and the same thing happens. They're mortal. You know, you you have a, a little bit a little bit issues with your command early, and it ends up biting you every single time. And you know, the one thing about Mariano Rivera that really makes him what he is, and a superstar pitcher, the the Hall of Fame. First bout Hall of Famer, no doubt, you know, guy that he is, is his command. He can throw the ball exactly where he wants to, when he wants to. And, you know, every now and then a guy like, you know, like a, like a Marco Scudero or somebody like that will just, you know, sit on something and hit it in the right spot and time it. But, you know, he's never walking, guys. No. And it's, you know, it's weird because, you know, Mariano Rivera will be remembered in 2004 for the walk of, you know, Dave Rob- of uh, Kevin Millar. Absolutely. You know, which led to Dave Infamous. Roberts' stolen base and, uh, you know, the single by uh, Bill Miller, which ended up tying the game, you know, leading to the biggest comeback in the history of postseason play. The Red Sox down 3 1, end up winning the series, you know, the, the championship series, and then Ugh. taking care of the Cardinals in the World Series. But, you know, that was one thing that just, you know, never happens. You never see Mariano Rivera with a walk in a big spot. Right. And that's really, I think, the number one thing that separates him from other pitchers. Plenty of guys, you know, guys like Eckersley and Suter and, you know, Rich Gossage and stuff like that. They all got the blazing fastball. They're missing bats. They're striking out, you know, 100 guys in 80 innings. Right. But what Mariano Rivera has that the other guys don't is command. And he knows that every given day he comes out there, he's going to be able to put the cutter and any other pitches that he works off of it in the exact spot that he wants to at the right time. Absolutely. And, you know, unfortunately, a guy like David Robertson who's younger, you know, he's, 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 he's got you know, to kind of figure out who he is. I think that's what it really comes down to. The guy's trying to prove himself early. He's throwing a lot of pitches. You know, he's pressing. And as soon as he just settles in, you know, the herd is still there from losing Mariano. And everyone's kind of uh, up in arms about that still, I think. And once that kind of, you know, once a little time uh, goes by and people are like, okay, this is what we have to deal with now. And Robertson finally steps up and goes, okay. This is what I know I have to do. Let's make it happen. I think it's. I think he'll be fine. He's got the talent. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't think he's going to have a problem. I mean, the guy had, what, 130 strikeouts last year yeah, and something he's, like he's 80, good, 90 man. innings. I mean, you know, we stress the fact that the guy's missed enough bats. He's, he's a strikeout pitcher. He is a guy that should be in that role. You know, the reason that he's not a closer in Major League Baseball right now is because he's backing up Mariano Rivera. Absolutely. And, you know, at some time, you know, whether it's, you know, next year or the year after, you're going to have to live – permanent life without Mariano Rivera and that's going to be a closer or two that are going to fail you're going to get your Braden loopers of the world you're going to get your closers that right you know will get their 25 30 saves but at the same time they'll destroy you they'll kill you for you know five ten games a year and they'll you know they'll have you you as a manager if you're Joe Girardi having to pull them out you know in the ninth inning you, you know you look at what's going on in Major League Baseball and I don't know if you realized it how many closers have lost their jobs already? Yeah. You know, we were talking in a car here. I told I remind you about Heath Bell. You Which know, he was signs a three year, twenty seven million dollar contract with the Marlins. Already demoted. And he's already, you know, you know, back in a bullpen and Steve Ciszek. You know, guy making about four hundred fifty thousand is the closer now. Right. You know, Carlos Marmol, which I think it was a long time coming, is finally out in Chicago. He sucks. Yeah, he's, he's terrible. He is terrible. I made a point in my last show talking about how he's got to be the worst closer in baseball right now. <laughs> I mean, the guy throws hard, but dude, there is nothing that's guaranteed when he comes in in the ninth inning. I've never seen a guy blow more, you know, three run leads than Carlos Marmol does, and he does it by walking guys. He goes by throwing a straight fastball, which goes right down the middle of that hitter's. Any hitter that's in Major League Baseball can hit. You can hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball right. if it's straight and right down the middle. It's but. not easy to find a good closer. I mean, look at uh, losing Brian Wilson, the, the uh, yeah, San Francisco. That's huge. And if that. you look at some of the guys that they had last year, like Casilla and Romo, I mean, they were, they were phenomenal for Absolutely. the Giants last year. They were, they, were, they were really at the top of their game. And, you know, what ends up happening is they're thrust into that role, and it's, it's not the same thing. No. You know, pitching the seventh and eighth inning, and, you know, I, I was following a little bit on Twitter today, and, you know, there were just some comments made that, listen, pitching the eighth inning and the ninth inning ain't the same thing. No. And even, even if it seems like you're just throwing an inning, Absolutely. Dude, it has a physical effect that it has and a mental effect on the pitchers that do it. And you just hope with David Robertson it's not something that's going to be continuous. You'd like to see him run off about, you know, five straight saves without, you know, problems. 
have command of his fastball and kind of get into a rhythm. I, you know what? I think he's got balls, so he's pretty even kill. If, if you told me Phil Hughes was going to come in and close a game, I would probably uh, – yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't watch it. And, you and know listen, what I mean? the Yankees do have some depth. I mean, they do have Soriano who's done it before. Yeah, I, I don't know how you feel about Soriano, but I know he – prior to coming to the Yankees, he was a very good relief pitcher. And I would say overall, even you know, even with last year, he hasn't pitched badly. No, I don't think he he hasn't screwed them to a point where you know he's costing them ball games. So you know, to have him as a backup is good. I think between the two of them, they'll be fine. I mean, if Soriano can stay healthy, that's always an issue. We well, you know, know what it is. I mean, you take us back to the one thing that has been an Achilles heel for the Yankees, and you know, pardon that to you know Ryan Braun, who you know is healthy, he's back in there, but he's got the Achilles heel problem. <laughs> But one thing that's really hurt the Yankees is they're starting pitching. And, you know, the, the couple times that they're able to give you a two, you know, one, two run lead going into the ninth, you want to be able to hold it down. Right. So, you know, on to the starting pitching. What do you think? Do you think Andy Pettit's going to be the answer here? I, uh, you know what? I think he's going to definitely give some more depth. They're, they're hurting right now. They need, they need even if it's uh, uh, just a, a kick in, in the butt just from – Pettit being there, you know, he's got that mental edge. Uh, like I said before on, on the last show, I know he comes in, he puts his uh, hat down, he's got that intimidating look on the mound. Even if it's just enough to get everyone amped up about, you know, maybe getting some more life, they need someone like that on the team. He's a leader. No, absolutely. I agree 100%, man. You know, Andy Pettit may not, you know, transition numbers wise. I don't think he's, he won't. you know, I don't think he's, he's going to be, you know, be 15 game winner this year, but right. he gives you a, a, you know, a mental edge on a mound which a lot of the pitchers don't have. Absolutely. Listen, we're going to take our first break. It's going to be a brief, you know, 2-3 minute break. I'm going to get back. I just want to make sure everything's all set for the replays of the show. Uh, coming at 5:25, we got uh John Diaquisto who's going to be calling in. We're going to talk some uh some Giants of the 70s and about his blazing fastball stuff like that. Steve Springer coming up at the end of the hour. And uh, Christian's dad sometime in the 6 o'clock hour to really get into some hardcore Yankee That's stuff. That's going to be fun. So uh, just uh, stay, stay with us a couple minutes. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. It made this little delay not too long. I just wanted to check something. Unfortunately, you know, we got the, you know, the recording set up here where we want to make sure that the show is available for replay on the MTR Radio Network, MTRmedia.com. Uh, just a reminder, just follow that. I mean, they got, you know, they got a Facebook uh, giveaway. You know, like their pages, MTR Media, MTR Radio. Um, a lot of things going on there continuous 24-hour day seven day a week internet radio programming a lot of live content monday through friday so just remember you tune in anytime usually between the hours of about 1 and 10 p.m and you got something live coming on the mtr radio network um on the, on to the yankees a little bit i don't want to spend the whole show talking about them you know we got some stuff to go on with the mets and phillies uh, i want to get a little bit on the cole hamill situation and of course, you know we got the good interviews with the you know our former baseball players that are calling into the show, and they're always able to help us out. And I appreciate that a hundred percent. The Yankees, where they sit right now, you know the Rays take it over the division. Of course, the Orioles are really on that ridiculous run that nobody's really believing yet. Nobody's really taking them seriously. What's your thoughts, first of all, on the Orioles and their start, Christian? I mean, Showalter always puts together. I think he puts together a good team with what he has. He, He's a pretty good manager, and I, I think the Orioles are good. I, I've watched them play, and they look like they got a good team. And same thing with the Rays. I, I, I'm a big Joe Madden fan, and, you know, he manages completely unorthodox, and he's, he almost manages like a softball manager doing these ridiculous shifts, bunting with two strikes, ridiculous stuff. But, it you know, kind of gets the job done. And I, I, I like that competition. I like to see teams that are unorthodox compete. You know, it's kind of nice to see that. No, absolutely. And I, I love Buck Showalter as a manager. And anybody that's heard me, you know, read my blog, johnpielli.com, Bases Empty Blog. 
I've been a, a proponent of Buck Showalter. I think he's done tremendous things for the teams that he has covered. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he did with the Yankees minor league system and the way he really put you know, the team together, though a lot of it wasn't playing when he left after the, 2000, oh, sorry, the 1995 season. Really, they, they, took, they took a good piece of Buck Showalter towards their championship run, winning in 96, 98, 99, and 2000. And he doesn't get enough credit for it. Joe Torre came in at the right time, did a great job, and will go down as one of the best Yankee managers in their history. Right. But it was Buck Showalter that put the team together. He, through the minor leagues, before he became the manager, was developing guys like you know Roberto Kelly, who eventually got you, you know uh, Paul O'Neill and stuff like that. And I just think he deserves a little more credit. But what we're going to do right now is we're going to put this on hold. We'll talk a little bit about this later. But I'm going to welcome in former Major League pitcher John D'Aquisto, who has a had a career record of 34 and 51, 456 ERA over the port course of 10 seasons. John, John Pielli, Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. You're very welcome, John. Thanks for having me on. Hey, no problem, man. Like I said, I appreciate you having the time to call in today. John, you, you know, you yeah. can't, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your playing career. We'll talk a little bit about what you're up to nowadays and stuff like that. But um, you, you ended up being, you know, being drafted, what, the late 60s, early 70s, something like that? Uh, 1970. Okay. I was the first-round draft pick uh, by the Giants. Yeah, and, and as you as you were coming up at the time, and unfortunately me being a couple of years younger, um, was there was there a lot of uh, was there a lot of uh, hype as far as you coming up? You know, in the system, were you really expected to be oh, yeah. a, a top of the rotation pitcher? Yeah, they they went and labeled me the next right-handed Sandy Koufax, uh, thanks to Buzzy Bavese of the Padres. You know, he was he tried to draft me also, so there was a a, a lot of hype and. And a lot of labeling going on in early in my career, especially when I was doing really well and striking out 244 and 245 guys consecutively in in uh, high A ball and and in triple A, uh, the hype really got got really strong. Yeah. Yeah. Not, I mean, there there was no question. I mean, you were really you were pretty touted as you got through the you know the early 70s to the mid 70s. Now I, I have heard some comparison. They were talking about you know. The, the fastball of a pitcher in the 70s and they really rated your fastball up to up there with you know really nobody next to nolan ryan how about how about your fastball and how how hard did you think you were throwing back then well you know that was the the beginnings of the jugs gun and it was the it was the slow gun so you you add four three or four miles per hour to the gun uh because he used a tuning torque if you remembered uh and I got clocked at 102.4, so plus three would be 105.4, or plus four would be 106.4. And uh, I guess Bill James wrote an article at ESPN saying that I was the fastest known in the year next to Nolan. Nolan and I were the – we used to have fun pitching against each other in spring training, I'll tell you. It, it, it was a lot of fun. Now, I used to hit him, too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It sounded like funny. As you, as you move through the system of the Giants and stuff like that, you really had your first breakout season in 1974. You know, I finished 12 and, 12 and 14 record, 167 Ks and 200 plus innings. Um, tell us a little bit about 1974, as much as you remember, and your impact on a rotation, and really how things went that season. Well, uh, Charlie Fox wanted to get me into the rotation right away, and he he was the one trying to pull me up. It was it was a push and sh- push and shove match between Charlie and myself, you know, through because I was having good years in the minors, and he wanted. He wanted a, a fireball and right-hander to come up, and I kept saying no. Well, when I got up there, I started off, bam, won, won my first game, won my second game, and then hit a dead streak. Of uh, I lost the next five games in a row. And I remember we were going into, I was like two and five with an ERA of about, oh, I'd say about four and a half. And we're going into into Shea Stadium to play the Mets, and Charlie, I'm I'm the only guy in the clubhouse. I'm getting ready to go out to the game, and I and I end up picking up Tom Seaver. And Charlie comes up to me and he says, "Look, he says if you don't do well tonight, I'm sending you down to Phoenix. Okay, I just want to let you know. You want to talk about putting pressure on somebody? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, he, he he dumped it right on my lap. Well, I went out and beat Tom." And and ended up staying. And I ended up three and five from that point. I won eight games in a row. And then I hit another dead spot 
where I, I had like 10 consecutive no decisions. And it is a record in the National League still to this day. And I think the other guys were Randy Lurch and Don Candelaria. Uh, we, uh, three of us held that record. And in those 10 games, we gave up less than, than it was two or less runs in those 10 games. And here's another interesting point, too. In those 10 games that I got the no decisions, we won nine of them. Wow, that's that's pretty amazing, man. And and you know, yeah. So I would have been a twenty-one game winner. <laughs> and and, and here's a here's a point that I want to throw in there too, because you're looking at nowadays where you know the average pitcher is out after you know six innings, and a lot of games sure. become you know bullpen games. Now you are obviously pitching deeper into games, so the fact that you know the that fact that you had so many no decisions was more interesting than it would be now, because you know you I'm sure you were consistently throwing into the seventh, eighth, you know, a lot of times into the ninth inning. That's correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely, John. I was throwing into the seventh, eighth, and ninth, and and I remember complete game wise. God, I had a lot of complete games that year too, and uh, somebody had brought it up that I probably would have been uh, ranked fourth in the National League now. Now, if I was pitching now with those stats, yeah, that's that's, that's amazing. Now, yeah. I'll, I'll transition that into a little, a couple questions I want to ask you. What do you think about the way baseball has changed pitching-wise, bringing up you know, pitchers through the minor league system? They're obviously babied a lot more than they are now. And so much emphasis is put on the pitch count you know, as opposed to what it was year ago, years ago. How do you feel about that change in the way that you know, starting pitchers are handled coming up right now? Well, I have, I have mixed emotions on the pitch count. I think that the pitch count should be used for, for little league, pony league, high school, you know, because kids are still developing. And it's very important that we don't uh, hurt, hurt our children what, because of uh, development. You know, you can really damage a kid. And once you get into college and, and able and minor leagues, you know, you, you're going to have to learn how to throw. I, I threw 15,000 pitches in my minor league career in three years. All right? It didn't much at that time, but... In 1975, my arm blew out. All right, but the the fact of the matter is, it was mechanical problem more than it was a you know a physical a actual physical problem, and the mechanics kept wearing and wearing. My arm finally gave out, and I had I had uh, on the reset attachment. But nowadays, what they're doing is they they kind they, they kind of uh, cuddle these kids a little little too much, and these pitchers. And except for the guys like uh, Cliff Lee, uh, Roy Holiday, you know, Cole Hamels, uh, you know, the, the CC Sabathia, the guys that they know can go nine, and they're the guys that are out there for the whole game, they let them pitch. But here's the difference in that. Why not let all the pitchers, the starting pitchers, have that ability to pitch that way? Not you know, yeah, get them in condition, work them out, get them in condition, bust, bust, Bust them to the point where they're they're hating your pitching coach, like we did, you know. And do the leg work and be prepared. Go out there and and knock the innings up, because then you're going to get away from 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 the sixth inning guy and and the potential of burning out your bullpen's lessons. And then you have other people to pitch. That's what we did in 1978, and it worked for us when I was with the Padres. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's pretty much the way to go. Now, I see a lot of these pitchers, they come up and they end up having Tommy John surgery anyway. Uh, what's, your, what's, your opinion, what's your opinion on that operation? And you think, obviously, it's saved some pitchers' careers. But uh, you think that if you know, an operation like that was available around, around your time, you might have been able to pitch a little longer? Well, I had, I had the precursor of the Tommy John surgery. They okay. didn't remove my tendon, but they, what they did was an uh, an ulna collateral ligament attachment, okay. and they reattached my ligament to my elbow, to my ulna, and they reset it, and then they stapled my my ligament in, into my elbow, and and basically what happened is they took the ulna nerve and they reset the ulna nerve above, of, you know, where your funny bone is located. Okay, it's the ulna canal. Yes. And so so what happened there? What, what they did with Tommy John, they removed his his ligament that was that was snapped. And they took a ligament from his leg and then applied it and stitched it into his uh, into his forearm. So that's a totally different concept compared to what I had done. 
And it was the precursor of that surgery that, that because Tommy was right after me, right after I got hurt, Tommy John got hurt. Yeah. So, and anyway, it's easier to say Tommy John surgery than John D'Aquisto surgery. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, <laughs> but you know what, though? Like, the amount of times it happened, I think it'll become so much easier to say John D'Aquisto, yeah. you know, the amount of times that it gets used nowadays. It's, it's yeah, synonymous exactly. with the sport. You think of a pitcher coming up and – Really, I mean, you know, you look at the amount of you, – you, you probably better off talking about the pitchers nowadays that haven't had it than you are, you know, mentioning yeah. all the ones that exactly. have had it. No, you're right, John. You're right. And, and that's exactly a very good point because more pitchers have had the surgery, and some of them, some of them just don't understand the fact of, of, of preventative, preventative uh, uh, workout programs, that, you know, to prevent injury. And and you know I'm a I'm a big fan of Doctor Doctor Andrews. Is, uh, you know he he's 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 taken the Tommy John surgery to another level from Doctor Job's initial uh, upbringing of, of that surgery. But what we can do to prevent these uh, incidences from occurring, and and now another one's coming into the picture: the labrum. Torn labrums are now yeah. new. Uh, you have the rotacuff, the deltoid, and the labrum, which is a wrap around the shoulder. If you go from the back of the shoulder to the front of the shoulder. You're, you're encompassing uh, the deltoid, the rotacuff, and the labrum, all in one full swoop. And, you know, that is, that's the dangerous part because then you lose a picture completely. So you need to really strengthen those areas. Those are stress points. And in stress points, you need to do the exercises to strengthen those particular joint areas because that's the minimal point where the ligaments and tendons attach to the joint. And they're very, very, very... Uh, tender at that point and can snap at any time if the stress is too much. So you have to build your muscles up around those areas. It's called stress workouts. They're used in football. Uh, they're used in basketball in the knee knee area, uh, the quads and the hamstrings. And, 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 you know, you have to build those areas up. And if you don't build those areas up, you're going to have problems. And the guys don't do it. And I know this for a fact. They don't do enough to protect themselves from from uh, from overcoming uh, the Tommy John surgery syndrome that I call. Yeah, this is John Pielli pass ball show. I'm here with John D'Aquisto, former pitcher for the Giants in the seven in the seventies. Now you make you make some really good points because I, I I agree that there's some there's almost like in maybe in my opinion a little bit of lax when it comes to you know the pre- to preventing of injuries and stuff like that. And I actually see. I don't know if it's actually ever going to be like physically stated this way, but I mean, some pitchers or some, you know, pitching coaches, you know, may actually prefer that some pitchers have, you know, an operation like a Tommy John surgery as opposed to just trying to prevent it. Now, what I, what I do want to ask you is, you know, what do you, what do you think in regards to the pitch counts and the babying of the pitchers is, is, you know, from what I've seen, I mean, it hasn't necessarily stopped these serious arm injuries from happening. I mean, no. you know, you, you feel like, you know, as you stated before, that they would be better off just letting these pitchers just go out there and pitch 200 innings their first season. You, you agree with that? Well, uh, I, I agree with the secondary phase of what you said. Let them pitch. Let them pitch. Yeah, I mean, here's, like... the pro- here's the problem, John. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that Major League Baseball pitching coaches are afraid to get involved with someone like myself who is a biomechanical engineer and a pitcher because they think we're going to change the complete motion of the pitcher and mess the pitcher's uh, pitches up, sinker, slider, curveball, changeup, whatever, okay? My theory about this is, is you work within the pitcher. You work within his motion. You better his motion. You get him to be, uh, you get him to be more efficient. If he's more efficient, he'll have longevity. And one of my best, best examples is Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox is, is an engineer. Greg Maddox lasted a long time. He was injured maybe once. If, if I recall, he was injured maybe one time. Yeah, it was one time, and it was only about two, two three weeks. It wasn't even a major, major deal. Yeah, exactly. And Nolan Ryan was a longevity-type pitcher. He lasted a very long time. But Nolan did the legwork. He prepped himself in spring training and busted his tail to where he was in shape to throw 
the amount of pitches and the amount of innings that he was going to work. If you don't do the work, you're going to subject yourself to being hurt. I think that the guys are just lazy to, in, 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 in baseball nowadays, and, and they don't want to listen to their coaches. They're not coachable because they say, you're paying me $15 million, and what can you tell me? And if you think about it, too, I mean, a lot, a lot I'm sure had to do with, you know, what you guys made in the time that you guys played. You know, the value of a pitching coach probably isn't what it used to be. You know, over a course of, no, a, of, a, of a good pitcher's, you know, first four or five seasons, they may see two, three pitching coaches because they're, sure. they're expendable while the player that, you know, coming out of college is signing, you know, a guaranteed contract for the next six years before sure. he even pitches a major league game you know, has more value to the organization than a pitching coach and, you know, even the manager, which, you know, for the most part, they're making, you know, less than most of, you know, the pitchers on a pitching staff. Yeah, you're exactly right. And see, uh, I'll give you an example. I'm not going to say a name or anything, but there's a a pitch on the Giants, and, of course, you know who the pitching coach is, okay? Yes. Uh, But Dave Rigetti. And and Dave told me, I'm not going to say who the pitcher is, but but he said that, uh, I can't talk to this pitcher because his father won't allow me to do so. Yeah, what is that about? That's a, I said, I mean, that's, you that's have got insane. to be kidding me. What happens when he breaks? What happens when he goes down and his dad can't fix him? Who does he go to then? Yeah, and, and you he know what I would say? What's the purpose of even having a pitching coach? You know, if they, if they, got, if they get to a point where they're, they're bigger than the game, you know, yeah. then why, why, yeah. why even have to have somebody there? I mean, a guy like Dave Rigetti who's been through the, you know, the you know, has pitched, you know, at least a good part of his career when, he's a when good things pitching matter. Coach. He's a good pitching coach. Exactly. I've talked, to, I've talked to Rags plenty of times. And, you know, he knows what he's doing. All right? He has a good good theory about pitching. And, and you know, now all pitching coaches are good for is you go into the, to the office of the manager, and the, and the manager's going to say, who do I have tonight in the bullpen? Who's up first? Who's up second? Who's up third? Who's, who's my closer? Who's my right? Who's my left? Okay. And then the guy, well, what, what else could you, – you've got to be able, as a pitching coach, to be able to train your staff and keep them in shape and, think about, and, and, think, and keep them from not breaking down. Yeah, absolutely. And then another thing, too, you know, they come out to the they come out to the mound, a couple guys on base in the fourth inning or something like that. I'm sure they're not even saying any you know anything major at that point. They're just like, hey, just bear down, get them. You know, they're not telling yeah. them anything, you know, mechanically and – you know, you know, guy. How are you going to calm? A, how are you going to calm a pitcher down, John? Yeah. When 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 you look in his eyes and you're looking at his deer in, deer in the headlights, you're going to look at him and you're going to break his train of thought and you're going to say, "Hey, look, uh, have you thought of what, about what you're going to have for dinner tomorrow or tonight <laughs> or after the game? Uh, where are you going? You know, just break his track yeah. and see see that intensity drop, relax, because when a pitcher's relaxed is when he's more effective. He's going to be aggressive to begin with. You don't want him to have too much adrenaline flowing through his body. You got to be able to know how to calm him down. So if you don't know how to do that, you're worthless. You're worthless to the team as a pitching coach. You're worthless to your pitchers as a pitching coach. You have to be able to know when a guy's in trouble and when to go out to the mound to talk to him before he loses it. These are valuable things that a pitching coach needs to know. I don't see it as often as it used to be. When, when we were playing in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, we always had somebody coming out and trying to calm us down and, and asking us what we were going to do in the situation. Yeah, absolutely, That's man. It. I mean, well, you know, the way, the way I look at it, and you, you obviously, you know, have a good understanding of what it takes to pitch, you know, mechanically and, you know, obviously being an engineer and everything. Would you would you know? Is, is it something that you've you've aspired to even even at your age now to want to uh, to to perhaps want to be a pitching coach at, at any sure. professional level? Oh, absolutely, John. You know, I, I've always stuck it out there. But see, they have to get used to to the knowledge I have and, and not be afraid of me. Well, you definitely right? got because, it because you know it, it's like they're afraid of Tom House. They're afraid of Mike Marshall. They're afraid of John DeQuisto because they. They think that we, we, we will add too much confusion to the pitching motion. And they don't, they don't know. They've got to try us first before give us a chance. Uh, I, I tried the, my pitching coach techniques for three, three years with, at, with Division One in East Lake at, at, at high school level. And I took a pitching staff for three years that these kids, you would say, were maybe average. I took those kids, and we ended up winning 
three championship seasons. One, two, three. I've got three of my kids that are pitching in uh, high Mexican Mexican uh, uh, big league baseball in Mexico uh, right now and still throwing to this day and still call me on the phone and they tell me by telephone what their ball is doing and I tell them how to correct the problem. No, absolutely. Now, uh, how valuable could you be if you were right there? Yeah. No, that, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And it's unfortunate that, you know, sure. a lot of – you know, a lot of teams really aren't looking to do this through, you know, a pitching coach, a guy that's been there. Uh, I think the closest thing really now, and you talked about a guy like Dave Rigetti who's very knowledgeable, but really Nolan Ryan in Texas has kind of put, you know, that old school mentality back into, and he feeds it through Mike Maddox's pitching coach. Uh, what do you think about the way, you know, Nolan Ryan's got the pitchers? You know, he really, he really isn't worried about pitch counts. He's got the pitch count off the scoreboard, and he's, he, he's pretty much for the last three, four years has let the guys just kind of go out there and pitch. Exactly, it's old school, and you know what? It, but he's he's got them doing the legwork. He made it mandatory that they do his workout. His workout is not easy, by far, I'm not sure easy not. at all. A lot of legwork, a lot of legwork. I remember Jimmy Reese used to hit Nolan fungos back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for hours. And, and, you know, and I'd, I'd be out there doing my leg work in spring training in Palm Springs when he was at the Angels, and we'd be running back and forth, back and forth, and he'd keep running. I was done, and he would still keep running. And he would yell at me, go, where are you going? Where are you going? Come on, we got more to do here. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm sitting here going, what do you mean? I'm done, man. <laughs> I'll see you later. Well, look how long he lasted and look how long I lasted. No, absolutely. And I lasted 16 years. 12 years in the big leagues. So, you know, it's like, go figure. <laughs> hey, John, listen, I, I appreciate you having a couple minutes today. You got to you gotta do me a favor, man. Promise me uh, sure. I could get you to call in. And, we, you know, there's plenty more stuff that I want to hit up with you. We're just a little short for time today. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right, John. So I'd, 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 be ha- I'd be happy to do that for you, Johnny. Uh, that would be great. I, I got, what I'll do yeah, is we'll stay in touch. Let me know we'll when you want up. it. And, you know, I am going into surgery here on the 4th. So, and maybe maybe even sooner. So, just shoot me shoot me a, a message, and uh, I'll be glad to call. And I got your number now. All right, thanks a lot, John, and best of luck with the surgery. And thanks a lot for calling in today. You're very welcome. Thank you, John. Take care. Yeah, you too, man. That was John Diaquist, a former pitcher for the Giants in the '70s. Uh, a lot of lot of interesting stuff that he talked about. I would love to really have him call in because. You know, I could probably do the next two hours with just him there, Christian, you know? Absolutely. You know, and, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, a lot of good points about pitching and the way it's changed in the game. And, you know, there's a lot of points that I, I totally feel, you know, a lot when I see the way pitchers are being brought up. You know, a guy like Jabba Chamberlain, the way he was oh, baby. I was just going to bring that up. You know, how many how many years is he going to lose? You know, fortunate, you know, fortunate injury the last time. But, you know, listen, this, this, this has got, uh, you know, this is one of those things. You know, we got to make sure that, you know, I understand the safety is in the best interest of these guys, and you know, I, mean, I think they're overdoing it. They they just they just simply are, and it's not you know that doesn't make to me it doesn't make any sense that these guys you know really are babied to the point that they are. And I, I want to actually make a comparison, and obviously he was referring to Tim Lincecum when it came to you know the, yes, you know, the guy's blatantly, father really blatantly having control, obvious. which is you know is fine, and right. he's not the only one. I mean Tim Tim Lincecum is the only one that actually you know does things that way, but. The way, it, the way it's set up now, and I, I, I'm going to take a quick break in a minute, is, you know, there are some pitchers that go out there like a Sabathia, like, a, uh, you know, Roy Halladay or, you know, uh, even a David Price. You know, once, the, once they're out there, there's no innings limit. You know, David Price, you know, would throw 170, 180 innings his first year when some other pitchers that are coming up wouldn't get that luxury. And you're really not seeing any difference. It's not that the pitchers that come up, you know, early and throw too many innings are the ones getting hurt. It's the opposite. Yeah. I, I I would agree with that. I think major leagues got to stop coddling players. These guys have huge contracts, and that's that's a good point that John brought up yeah, on this interview. You know, there's there's multi million dollar contracts. Everyone's treated like a baby. You know, let's let's go back to the old school and actually yeah. play some freaking baseball. <laughs> you know, no, there's no. I mean, it, you know, listen. I mean, you know, think of how many years were. You know, I mean, we're looking at the last fifteen, twenty years. Really, that pitchers are being coddled like this. Obviously, it's gotten worse as the years have gone on. But you know, baseball started in what 1870, 
And, yes. you know, these guys were out there pitching, you know, like, like it was nothing. They were throwing complete games every day. Yeah. You know, and I mean, when baseball first started, I don't know if you guys remember. Obviously, none of you do because you weren't alive then. But, you know, a, pit, a pitcher was just a position on the field. Right. You know, in 1870, a guy was pitching every day. Absolutely. He was throwing nine innings, you know, 200, 300 pitches. You know, they go extra innings. Who cares? He's going to go out there. And obviously, you know, you know, after a couple of years, they realized that, you know, it's a lot of strain on an arm for the guy to sort of throw 200 pitches every day. So they started, you know, going to two, three, eventually four-man rotations. But, you know, that's really the way, th- you know, things have happened. And, you know, now it's a point where these guys are prized, and, it, and money definitely has to do with it. It's definitely all money-related. The fact that they cherish these arms to a point where they commit so much money to them right out of college or right out of high school, which honestly is something they probably shouldn't do. And then they, you know, they, they, they try to cater to the pitchers thinking that if they don't throw that much, they're not going to get hurt and they'll have a long career. Well, what has it done? What happened with Steven Stroudsburg? Steven Stroudsburg had Tommy John surgery last year. He was just drafted the year before. Ridiculous. I mean, you know, did that work there? You know, did the Nationals do the right thing with Steven Stroudsburg? Well, listen, he's pitching well now, but he missed the whole year. Yeah. And he was <laughs> and, he's, and he went under the knife. And you know what? September comes this year. Nationals are going to be in a pennant race. And Steven Strasburg's going to be sh- shut down for the season because he's on an innings limit, which is stupid. I think, you know what? <laughs> the whole innings limit thing got the most press with, uh, really, with Chamberlain. I, it's the first time we're watching SportsCenter, you're hearing the Jabba rules. It sounds like yeah. a Star Wars episode or no, something. No, it's pretty stupid. It's ridiculous, man. All right, listen, we're going to take a quick break. We got Steve Springer calling in in a little bit. Uh, we'll be right back after this quick message. Tell us what's happening in the world of sports is the former all-star for the New York Mets, update sportscaster Chico Escuela. Chico. Thank you, Hain. Uh, baseball being very, very good to me. This week, baseball being very, very good to Willie Mays. Say hey, Willie always keep his eye on the ball. <clears throat> In super- Welcome back. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. Uh, like I said, I apologize for these little brief breaks. I'm promised to not take them too long. Um, we're here with Christian Colabelli, lead guitarist for Boy Meets Machine. Howdy. And we're just really talking about, you know, pretty much concluding our conversation with Mr. Diaquista, who I have to say, I'm very impressed with his knowledge and everything that he was able to bring to the show. I mean, I can honestly do a two-hour show just interviewing him, and that's you know fabulous. Not to take anything away from you, Christian. No, um, I, I I'd rather listen to him too. I definitely appreciate you being here, but I want to set it up to where we could get John back on. Uh, you know, I feel like you know I really wasn't able to ask him every question I wanted to, but you know, he, he really he really uh, you know stressed a lot of important points and stuff like that. But uh, before we move any further, we're going to welcome in Steve Springer, who uh, who played for the the Indians and the Mets in 1990 and 1992. Uh, pretty good minor league career, and we'll welcome to the show Steve John Pielli, Passball M Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for calling in today. John, what's up, buddy? How are you? Uh, pretty good, man. I'm glad to have you aboard. Hey, well, uh, you got me. You got me for as long as you want me. I'm on mile number one of a hundred mile drive out the high desert. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't imagine how bad that is. I mean, actually, in a, at the end of next week. I'm taking a trip here from you know where I live in New Jersey over to uh, Toronto. I'm going to see a couple games when the Mets play the Blue Jays up there, and you know something well, like a, something like a 500 something mile trip. I mean, I'm not really looking forward to it. No, I'm not looking forward to this one either. But uh, going to catch traffic, but that's all right. I got to get out there and do my job. Yeah, absolutely, man. And listen, you know, you got you got to you know play a little bit in the big leagues. I, I you know I was looking at your stats, pretty fairly fairly good minor league career. Um, Let's go back to you know where when you were drafted. You, you ended you ended up being you know when you were, when you were drafted. What were your feelings first of all about you know potentially being in the major leagues and what was you know the hype around you as far as your path to making the major leagues? Well, you know my, my story's good and you know everybody's got a story and you know I, when I speak all over the country, it's it's basically you know it's my story and it's you know when I was a freshman in high school. I was four eleven ninety pounds. Uh, I got three at-bats, and by the time I was a senior in high school, I mean, I grew, but I went from tiny to small, and I went from 4'11 to 5'8", 140 pounds, and, you know, I was a senior in high school, and I don't even start, and, you know, there's probably, you know, 100 JCs in California, and I don't get recruited by one, 
And fortunately, my brother was a star at Golden West College, my brother Gary, and who played six years of pro baseball. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, the coach just knew I was coming there. <laughs> he didn't need to recruit me. Well, I went out for the summer team and I got cut. So that didn't work out. Uh, but a couple guys quit. My brother came home with the uniform for me. I was 19 years old. Uh, and I got three at bats my freshman year in college and I played in the big leagues. And, you know, when I speak and, and you know, that, that identifies to 95% of my audience, your audience. Uh, everybody thinks you got to be six foot two, you know, 200 pounds to play in the big leagues. And, you know, I mean, well, what's Dustin Majority? Six five? I mean, this yeah. guy could shrink two inches and be a big leaguer. And yet we all have this little mindset that we got to be the six-two great body guy. And uh, you know, Dustin Pedroia could shrink two inches playing in the big leagues to be an all-star. And fortunately, I grew four inches when I was 20 years old. And uh, I went from second-string second baseman to an all-conference shortstop, and got a full ride to UCLA. And I couldn't spell cat, uh, <laughs> so I couldn't get in. And uh, my dad was a little pissed off there. And, uh, I went to, you know, University of Utah, barely got in there, and, and you know, yes, I got drafted. Everybody was there to see Rick Aguilera, Wally Joyner, and Corey Snyder, and I went 5-5 five five that day with, with two doubles, home run, five RBIs, and first day I ever played the outfield, and I get drafted as an outfielder because that's the only time the scouts saw me. Um, so, you know, it, it's just been, it, was, it was just a great experience. I didn't know I was going to get drafted. You know, I basically got drafted because of one scout, Roy Partee. And then I went to Little Falls, New York with Dwight Gooden. And, uh, you know, I, I played with Lenny Dykstra, Billy Bean, Moneyball guy. You know, all those guys that were roommates in the Meyer League. I was in his wedding. Uh, you know, you talk about a guy that had all the ability in the world, and he did. Uh, but Billy had, you know, and he'd tell you, he had football mentality. And he had middle linebacker and cut uh mentality and, and, and baseball is not middle linebacker mentality. Baseball is relaxed concentration and controlled violence. Nah, so I know I rambled there for a little bit, buddy, nah, but that's some good points, man. <laughs> that, that, you know. That's to be that's the beginning of my story. <laughs> <laughs> well listen, I mean everybody has a story and, and you know the, listen one thing that you know I, I appreciate because you know I was never, you know, good enough to, you know, make you know make it in baseball on any professional level. I loved playing it, but I just you know, I like listen, there's a lot of people that are better than me. And, you know, listen, there's, there's so many different ways that people, you know, get discovered and stuff like that. But as you, you know, as you, as you move through, you know, you're drafted, you end up, you know, working out in the minor leagues. How did you feel like you related with a lot of the other players? You said, you're, you know, you're, you were generally smaller. Uh, did, you, did you feel like you could play with the guys that were, let's say, 6'2", six, 6'5", six, something like that? Oh, yeah. No, that, that, that wasn't even a thought. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I ended up being six foot, 190 pounds, and, you know, I liked my abilities, but, you know, what I'm doing now for the Toronto Blue Jays, you know, I'm, I'm the mental coach, and, you know, I made a CD talking about the mental side of hitting called Quality at Bats, and it's flying out. I mean, and, and I don't mean to boast or pop off, but I, I believe it's flying out because it's right. Absolutely. And, you know, my fr- I, I break my, my career into two different uh, stages. One, My first seven years, I had no mental game at all, and it was just ability, it was you know, a lot of hope involved, and, you know, my whole goal, anybody that knows me, anybody that knows what I talk about, you know, the most evil thing in baseball, hands down, is the batting average. It destroys more young kids than anything in the game. Uh, I can't have a goal where I can do everything right and go 0 for 4. And, and it's just amazing when you really chew on that statement. I can do everything right and go 0 for 4, yet my goal is to hit 300. And it just sets you up for a mind screw right off the bat. And, and I call Abner Doubleday a genius for inventing the batting average because if he said success was you hit the ball hard and you win, uh, they'd have they'd have to move the mountain five feet because there's no mind screw. And, and when I finally realized this, it was like a light bulb went off. And and you know I you know when I when I cared about my batting average and wanted to hit 300, and then if I'm over four, I'm looking at that lineup and I'm like, oh man, if you guys get on, I got to hit again. And when I said I don't care what I hit. It was like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders, and now all of a sudden I'm thinking to myself, I could be over four four strikeouts, and now I'm looking at that lineup, man, I need two guys to get on so I can be a hero. And that's the mindset that we need. That's the mindset that's going give, to give your ability freedom to come out. You know, I, I, I asked a question 
if I took two teams and I said one team I'll give you a thousand dollars every time for every time you compete, hit the ball hard and help your team win, and the other team I'll give you a thousand dollars for every time you get a hit. What team do you want to be on? Exactly. I mean, it's the biggest no-brainer question, but yet our goal is to get a hit. And my last seven years, I got a mental game, but I was probably pretty, I was too old. You know, I, I feel blessed to say I got two hits in each league in the big leagues because, <laughs> you know, I didn't really understand how to how to compete every single day until I was probably about 28 years old. And that, that's what I'm teaching now and, and the CD that I made. And, you know, we give ourselves too much credit to remember what we're taught and, I made this CD, and like I said, man, I mean, it's mind-blowing on who has it in the big leagues right now, uh, college teams, girls softball. Uh, it's sort of blown up, so it's pretty fun. That's <laughs> no, awesome, man. And listen, I love your enthusiasm and stuff because it's the same thing that I have, you know, over you know, over the course of, you know, doing my radio program and stuff. And, you know, we all, we all find our niches, man. It seems like you really you really found yours with that, and that's, you know, that's that's great, you know, really great to talk about. Uh, no, it, it's been it's been awesome. It's been a blessing. It's a, you know, but if anybody that's out there listening, man, you have to get rid of your batting average. I call it Satan in my CD. Uh, I, I give you a couple stories. I, I was at a Christian conference with my wife two years ago, and I was in a little seven man group, and it's all baseball players. It's called PAO and Professional Athlete Outreach, and all big leaguers, minor league players, and their wives. And first night in, I got introduced to myself. Yeah, my name's Steve Springer. I'm the performance coach of the Blue Jays. And I see this little 20-year-old kid just smiling big. And I said, you got my CD, don't you, buddy? He's like, I can't believe you're here. He said, I've been listening to you for five years. He's a sandwich pick. His name's Jonathan Gilmore. And he goes, I can't wait till I tell my brother-in-law you're here. He's going to flip out. And I go, who's your brother-in-law? And he says, Ben Zobrist. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm like, oh, beautiful. So I meet Ben that night. He couldn't believe I was there. He's, he got my CD in 06, 25 years old in double-A, you know, basing his whole success on the batting average and, you know, just beating himself up. And, you know, that hit home with him. And, and it was just awesome, you know, when you get a story from a, an all-star like that, that, you know, I, I, a little bit of help in his career.